0: Is daylight savings time? It's a really a good thing, right? Yeah, it means warmer days are coming. Going the right direction. Yeah, but it's hard to change our clocks. I mean, I like it better in the fall when we go the other way. Anybody with me? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so this today, daylight savings time, and there's probably a lot of people sleeping in or whatever, forgot what they're gonna say, oh forgot to change my clock, rats. Then in the middle of the week, we have a worm moon. Oh, my goodness. Have we been having these super moons like crazy or what? And then Friday is Friday the 13th. Oh, man, hold on, everybody. (laughs) We'll be praying for you. So it's kind of an interesting week. But, uh, hey, we want to wrap up the series uh, that Aaron mentioned on unstuck. And uh, in this time, we've looked at some challenging things like like suffering, like temptation, like like rejection, things that can make us feel stuck and then talking about how do we get unstuck? how do we get moving forward once again? And today we want to look at the world through God's eyes and we want to look at ourselves through God's eyes and, and get a picture of what's going on, what might be at the root of some of this, stuckness that we're feeling now i I just have to tell you pastor john stalker if you know who he is he's been inspired on this theme unstuck and even though next week i'm going to go to john 15 in two weeks john's going to come and give another piece of this unstuck okay so encourage you to be here for that and i think it'll be terrific but how do we move forward in faith trusting that if we will just step out a little bit that god will meet us there And he will make up the difference for us. So to do this, I want to take you over to the book of James, chapter 1, starting with verse 19. And if you turn there, you probably notice most of your Bibles have a subheading right, right there at verse 19. And whatever that subheading might be, I have a hunch that you could sum it up with just two words. Okay, And those words are listening and doing listening and doing what are those two words yes that's what it's all about and these are just keys to grasping this passage now the word listen is kind of emphasized twice right off because it it, it, it's it's saying hey there pay attention take note here james inspired by the holy spirit wants us to be intentional as we look at these words and honestly believe that God wants them to become a part of our lives, part of who we are. Have you ever read a book just because you had to? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You're in a class, you've you got to make the grade, so you collect just enough information to get you by, right? That's, that's what this is all about. There's no heart connection in your reading. It has little impact on your life. It's all about checking that proverbial box, done. Got it done, right? Maybe you do a to-do list and you can put your check right there, finish that. Okay, now on the other hand, have you ever read a book that was so relevant and so timely to where you were or where you are that it captured you? It changed something uh, about you. You know, have you ever read a book that, that was so valuable to you that you kept going back to it over and over again until finally it became a part of you. You even shared it with someone else and had them read it. Have you ever had a book like that? Yeah. Well, uh, during the sabbatical last summer, I had a book like that. I've had several in my lifetime. Uh, I think about way back in high school when when some friends of mine were all reading a book called I Loved a Girl by Walter Trobisch, and that book was so impactful. But, but during the sabbatical, the book Crucial Conversations just captured me. And it's all about having conversations when th- three things are going on. Stakes are high, opinions differ, and emotions run strong. Okay, you hear that, those words, uh, crucial conversations. You think, well, that's what governments do, or that's what organizations do. But really, this is all of us. Think of those three things right there. Stakes are high, opinions vary, emotions run strong. And all of us have been in conversations just like that, and turns out, and this was very helpful to me in this book, that pretty much all of us don't do very well in these types of conversations, and, and therefore you know, we may avoid them. Have you ever needed to have a crucial conversation, but you stayed away from it because you weren't sure how it would be received? Anybody, yeah? Is there, has there ever been a situation where you should have had a conversation, but you never went there out of concern? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, well, the good news about this book is that there's hope for all of us, and, and we can do better. Yeah, would anybody like to do better? A crucial conference. Yeah, okay, well, I've got an extra copy after church. I'll sell it to you for about 100 bucks, okay? <laughs> it's, it's such a good read. It was so helpful. But James here really wants us to grasp what he's saying. He wants it to become a part of who we are. So he begins with, write it down, hold on to it. There's something here that's worthy of becoming a part of your life. And I kind of had fun with this outline uh, this morning. So the first thing that I noticed here is uh, and and this is the, the heading stick out your tongue and say ah okay now for each of these there's an attached question and the question here is how am i doing in the balance between my speaking and my listening and for that reason verse 19 would probably become a good life verse for for most of us here so look at the text my dear brothers and sisters and here it is take note listen pay attention take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that god desires now can we say there human anger does not produce the result that we're wanting in the situation Yeah, absolutely, but here, does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we have these statements, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Okay, so take a good look at the person next to you, just do that, okay? Awkward for some of you, yeah. So, uh... How many mouths do they have? How many ears do they have? (laughs) Do you suppose maybe, just maybe, God's sending them a message? (laughs) That maybe they need to listen twice as much as they speak. I mean, surely this is a message for somebody else, right? Right. I mean, maybe you've already taken your elbow and jabbed it into the person next to you. Are you hearing this? I wish you would be a little slower with your mouth and a little quicker with your ears, and you definitely need help with that anger thing. Yeah, it's for somebody else. But guess what? Here's the deal. It turns out, and and this book I'm talking about does such a great job with this, but this is just a principle of life. It turns out, that there's not much you or I are going to do to change somebody else. And if anything's going to, have to cha- going to change, it's going to have to start with me. And it's going to have to be you saying the same thing. It's going to have to start with me. We can pray for other people. We can love other people. But there's not much we're going to do to change them. All right? So, so just tell yourself, there's not much I can do to change that person and this theme just kept coming up this week in fact in our life group this week and in prayer meeting this week this whole idea people were sharing how they thought they would eventually change a person in their lives but then they had this revelation for God that it was that if they themselves would change they could entrust the rest of it to God and consequently there were real stories told of how the other person changed by virtue of that one person saying i can't change them but god wants to change me and a big part of us getting stuck is right here when we cannot talk to each other okay because everybody's wanting to be heard over the other so put a damper on your mouth let's be honest when we're too quick with our tongues pretty much doesn't come out right we only make things worse we don't get the desired result speaking less will leave room for the holy spirit to minister allowing us to have greater wisdom as to what needs to be said here in fact this is a great approach to the way we we pray I often will have people tell me that they don't feel like they're very good at praying, and they largely mean they don't always feel like they have the right words to say. Or sometimes they think, you know, well, we got to get the professional to pray the words because I'm just not as eloquent in, in, in my prayers here. But what if we approach prayer less concerned about what we have to say to God and more concerned about what God wants to say to us? Yeah, it's transformational right here. Slow to speak, quick to listen. This can rescue you. This can get you moving. So did you pick it up that every time I read verse 19, I I got rid of the word and? Did you notice that? I, I was really trying to make sure I didn't say the word and. And the reason is it's not in the original language. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. They're meant to be understood as very closely connected, working together, sending the message that speaking too quickly is often about anger, and speaking too quickly will never get you the desired result that you are after. And for that reason, it's better to be accused of being too quick to listen than it is to be accused of being too quick to speak <laughs> anybody besides me need to hear that this morning yeah <laughs> okay thank you for your honesty so the application is uh, how about we be more intentional in our listening in fact let's make it a game let's go into conversations and even prayer with more questions than answers how's that sound yeah okay so so um The first one is stick out your tongue and say, ah. The second one that I noticed in the text is look in the mirror and say, yikes. Okay, and the question is this. What have I heard that has has never become a part of who I am? So let's pick it up. Text verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, and then there's these two analogies here, right, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And here's the second analogy, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have, but, what's that next word? yeah, doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So we see do, 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 doing, but please don't discredit the listening part right here because it's two sides of the same coin. Remember, he wants us to so grasp what it is that he's inspired to say here that it's becoming who we are. Genuine faith in Christ overflows in genuine action. Well, we think about the church in the Western world, and I'm afraid that we have way too many auditors in church today. And, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but colleges and universities allow you to take classes for, for curiosity's sake, alone. I mean, uh, there's not much required. There might be a nominal fee. Space may be limited. There's no class credit for what's going on here. There's no accountability, no grade. You don't have to write papers. You don't have to buy textbooks. You, You don't have to show up for a final. Does that sound like good university to you, right? That's the way it works. The student doesn't even have to have a plan to do anything with what they're learning in the class. It's simply about information. So that we could say, auditors hear information, but don't do anything with it. And James wants us to know that the Christian life is more than just hearing. It's hearing that produces some sort of desired result. Timothy picks up on this, and he talks about the church in the last days. When he gives us this word, he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. And man, do we live in a day like this, right? I mean, someone was arguing with me recently, why do they have to go to church? They can hear the greatest preachers online anytime they want to. I mean, that's what we're competing with. Am I really competing? No. And the big problem with going online just to hear teachers is you're not living out what the Word has to say. We are not individuals. We are a body. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, right? And yeah, you can go out there and you get fired up, inspired. So what we're talking about here are auditors, We're here for just personal enrichment, academic exploration, but don't expect us to do anything with it. Preacher, make us feel good. Ease our sorrow. Ease our pain. And by the way, when's the next conference that we're going to? But nothing changes. Yeah, and and when I think about auditors, I think about uh, King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul actually, the Bible says, lost God's favor. He'd enjoyed God's favor, but he lost it along the way. It even says he lost the Holy Spirit's presence in his life and the anointing that had been on him. Instead, and the Bible says this, he was tormented by an evil spirit. But he found a way to ease the agony. So what he discovered was there was this young man named David who played the harp. And so he would bring David into the palace. David would play his songs and and the Bible says that that evil spirit would leave him alone. But here's the deal. Saul was an auditor. He wanted the comfort of David's music which was rooted in truth but he didn't want any sort of real change in his own life. He listened to But listening never brought any life-giving sort of result. So here James gives us these two examples of auditors. So the first is verse 23, where this first guy looks in the mirror and then quickly forgets what he looks like. Okay, now, you know, I mean, have you ever done like a, an old west tour, you know, I grew up in Tucson and you've got like old Tucson and or you go back and you see things from, you know, the 1800s and such. Well, you know that mirrors have come a long ways, right, in a short period of time. And, and back in this day, a mirror might have been nothing more than a polished piece of steel. I mean, it only gave you enough of an image to make some some minor adjustments. Mirrors are, are, are really funny things, right? Mirrors don't lie. Did your mirror lie to you this morning? Were you glad your mirror didn't laugh at you this morning? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad mirrors don't laugh. I mean, mirrors are interesting. I mean, you can stand downtown here. You can watch people walk by the stores and catch a glimpse of themselves in the, in the plate glass windows, right? Some might, like, do this or, or do this, right? Or others might say, hmm... You know, I work out at a gym, and, and uh, it has mirrors in it, and it's always fascinating to watch a guy catch a glimpse of himself. <laughs> yeah. I'm not guilty of that. No. And you all know that when we started Summit, we started in the aerobics room at Rocky Mountain Athletic Club, Right. It had mirrors on every wall. I kind of like that. It always made our crowd look bigger. (laughs) Christmas Eve service, candlelights, man. Those things would just light up. All those walls, it was something. Yeah, mirrors, catching a glimpse at at ourselves. So mirrors, the purpose of a mirror is to see those things that need to be adjusted so that you can make the necessary adjustments. God's word is a type of, of mirror and you look into god's word and even if you've read a passage a thousand times god will use it in a different way to speak to a different area of your life that that needs some adjusting so here's a question when was the last time that hearing god's word even if it was just reading it listening to it produced when is the last time god's word produced any sort of a life change in you a change of action change of direction and if it's been a long time could it be that there's something that you're missing and something that you need to go back to that's the first guy okay but the second guy in verse 25 has a mirror of a different name so so this is called the mirror of the perfect law. The perfect law means it's a perfect mirror. It's not a hazy old piece of polished steel. It's an opportunity that God gives us to get a clear look at ourselves and what's going on in our lives. But please notice, it's not a law of bondage, is it? What is it? It's a it's a law of liberty, and and uh, it actually. Uh, it, 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 so it's not a law of bondage, It's just not a law of legalism. But two things to notice. It's a perfect law, and it's a law that sets us free. And what it's talking about there is the law, of the Spirit, spoken of in Romans 8, where the Bible says, don't you love this? Starting with verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You like that? Absolutely. There's no, con- no fear. Perfect love drives out fear because... Fear has to do with judgment, punishment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, this is law, the law that gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. This is really about God empowering us to love the way he does. It's about agape kind of love. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is this love. And when we understand God's love, this will to love, then right there, that is all the law we will ever need. And so the application here is do the word. And how are you doing with that love thing? I'm convinced that the reason many Christians are feeling stuck is because while they're ever hearing and gaining information, there is very little life change going on. And so where might the Holy Spirit be talking to you this morning about where you need to work on that love thing, where you need to be an instrument of that love? Are you critical of other people who aren't like you? Are you critical of a world that's responding to things and to leaders differently than you? Or out of love, are you burdened for their souls, just like God loved us enough to give his only begotten son? Okay, so stick out your tongue and say, what? Look in the mirror and say, <laughs> yeah, good explanation there. And then the third thing is look in your wallet and say, hmm, yeah. And, and so the question here is, how can I show God's love to a hurting world in practical ways? And again, it's this mirror of this perfect law. It's the mirror of love. So verse 26 those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Talk less, listen more. Where does God want to move in your life? And then he says, verse 27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted. By the world. So, so three things that jump out at me here. Um, sincere believers keep a tight rein on their tongue, tongues, and as I said, I'm forever grateful for this book, Crucial Conversations. It has changed my life. I can just tell you, it's a book that's took, okay? Now, please don't get a copy of that book and start assessing my every move, because I'm sure I'm not perfect, okay? but But very helpful tool. Secondly, how about this? Instead of us venting about others and, and venting about what isn't and venting about what could be or venting about life's tests and trials or venting about your health or venting about the weather or venting about the coronavirus uh, or, or venting about the, the, the way our nation's going with leadership or whatever, how about we instead develop a heart for people who are less fortunate than us? widows and orphans okay so so just hold on to that because we need to come back to it let me give you this third one keep oneself from being polluted by the world and we need to notice that this is right there next to taking care of widows and orphans because too many believers have read those words and have applied it by thinking that we need to isolate ourselves from the world but this isn't about isolation. Do you know the high priestly prayer? Anybody know where the high priestly prayer is found in your Bibles? What book? Anybody? John. Yeah. Anybody know the chapter? Yeah. You're you're almost there. I hear it. There's a magazine by this name. Seventeen. Good job. Yeah. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. We're working our way there as we're where, as we are. Are working through John, but there, Jesus prayed that we would be in the world, but not of the world. So when James tells believers not to allow themselves to be polluted by the world, I believe it's, it, it can be summed up in two questions. And those questions are these Who's influencing who, and to what are we influencing them? What's the first question? And what's the second question? To what are we influencing them? So this was a huge part that God used to lead me to faith. It's because when my childhood buddy, Jim, asked me to introduce him to drugs, I couldn't go there. I I didn't want to go there. I mean, it was one thing for me to, to be an idiot. It was another thing for me to be responsible for dragging somebody else into my stupidity. Fair enough? And I honestly believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And because of another buddy named Pete, I knew there was only one thing worth influencing someone else to. And that was Jesus Christ and God's plan for our lives. And God would use that to lead me to him. We are not here to look like the world. We're not here to compete with the world. We're not here to judge the world. We're not here to avoid the world. We're not here to look like the world. We are here to be salt. And salt, as it's described in scripture, isn't to adjust to the environment around it. Instead, it's to be a change agent for the better in the world in which it's applied. Okay, and so this leads to us taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. He's talking about helping the most helpless people of his day. And it's about you and me looking in the mirror of the perfect law that sets us free. It's the mirror of love, right, in order that God might move us to take action on their behalf. Widows in this culture, they are women in this culture, let's say, uh, weren't allowed to hold jobs in any kind of official capacity. So that meant if their husband walked away, or or died, or got sick and couldn't work, it was an immediate sentence to poverty. And orphans were 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 much the same. We are amazed in Guatemala uh, how many households the dads are not present. It's just. It's just, just a mind blower to us. And then this year we were able to meet a couple from the United States that moved there just to start an orphanage to help these kids have a, have a greater opportunity in life. So, so these are the lowest of the lowest in society. Okay, so a couple of questions here. Do you ever get tired of all the fundraising efforts that come your way? I mean, whether it's over the computer or through the mail or, or whatever. Do you ever get tired of us talking about Guatemala and all these opportunities we have to sponsor children and all of this stuff? And so I just want to ask you this question. Who are you helping? outside of your tight little circle, the circle of maybe your own household, what are you investing in that, that's bigger than you? What are you investing in in order to meet the needs of, of the less fortunate? Because here's the deal. The stuck life is the life that cares about nothing but itself, always evaluating whether it has enough Or not. But the liberated life is always asking the question, what's the most I can do? And I want to emphasize that word most, not least. What's the most that I can do to help someone else? Without, you know, helping them in the wrong way, but to help them in the right way. And so here's a challenge that I just want to give to you that came to mind as I was praying and thinking. The next time there's a natural disaster, somewhere in the world, find a way to go there with a first responder team. What I've discovered is the first people who are on site at at a natural disaster scene are believers, and the last people to leave are believers. You're never going to hear about that on the news. What you're going to hear is about FEMA and all their trailers and such and such, okay? But when you're on site, you realize that there are believers there, believers who will stay there for for the long haul. You got to see it for yourself and I would encourage you to go. What are you doing that's bigger than you? What are you investing in outside of yourself? Because friends, Christianity was never meant to be a noun. And when we make Christian un- Christianity a noun, it becomes a turnoff. Christianity was always intended to be a verb. It's an action word. It's about acting on God's ideas, acting on God's heart. It's about following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, seizing opportunities to give and to serve when it's allowed. Talk is cheap, and we in the church have been talking long enough. But here's the deal. Left to ourselves, there's no way we're going to ever live out what we've been talking about today. This is about all eyes on Jesus. This is about what would Jesus do and wanting that to be a part of our lives. And what would Jesus do that's outside of our lives? But when you go there, man, everything in our flesh gets defensive. And it's like, ah. But when we're walking in the Holy Spirit, see, this is another reminder, just like in communion today, of how desperately we need a Savior And this is another reminder of how desperately we need the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Okay? So, stick out your tongue and say, look in the mirror and say, yeah, and look in your wallet and say, yeah. And did you notice I didn't say a word about giving to the church in that? It's just about God giving us a giving heart. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I think those are valuable keys to becoming unstuck. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your perfect law that gives life and that gives liberty. And I pray that that is the spirit by which this is received today and that if anybody doesn't know you this morning that this would be their opportunity to come to that place of calling on your name saying lord i need you i need you like never before thank you for jesus thank you for what he accomplished for us on the cross lord we want to embrace what jesus did we don't want to take it lightly we want to take it seriously. We want, we want to turn from doing our, life our way to doing life your way. And maybe that's where you are right now, just at a moment of recognizing, wow, I'm doing life my way. I need to turn around and embrace God's way. It's a change of heart. It's repentance. It's a 180. Change life. So just two questions to consider right now. Number one, what is God's Spirit saying to you this morning? And number two is, what would he have you do in response? Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you as we continue worshiping. In Jesus' name.